Good morning. I'm going to read two passages to you this morning. The first one is in Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. And the next passage is in 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Thank you, Kathy. Well, good morning. My name's Josh, and uh, I'm the pastor here. It's a joy to gather with you on this uh, winter morning. I'm excited about 21 days of prayer. Um, it's been on my heart for a long time. I'm excited to see what God does in and through it. I just want to start by sharing what I think, as I was reflecting on my life this week, what might have been one of the biggest turning points in my uh, relationship with God, which is, means kind of all of life. Uh, it, it wasn't actually, you know, on a mission trip or a youth conference or, you know, one of those kind of like big mountaintop experiences. Instead, uh, it happened in a really mundane early morning in a, one, maybe one of the scruffiest seasons of my life. I was fresh out of college, living in a dingy apartment down in the short north, uh, working, I was underemployed, just working kind of like an uh, entry-level job at the hospital, and uh, I was kind of in, I was kind of in the pit. I was trying to figure out how to get life together, you know, like what, what, it, what, is, what does it mean to be an adult, all that kind of stuff, and uh, I was also struggling with pornography, which, you know, kind of, of course, meant I was depressed, which meant that I ate a lot of food, which meant that I was felt fat and uncomfortable in my skin, which meant that I didn't like hanging out with people, which meant that I was lonely, which meant that I went back to pornography. It was a vicious cycle. It was a scruffy time, pretty desperate time. And, uh, and I just want to say, if, any of you, if that rings true with any of you, any part of that cycle rings true, come talk to me. I'd love to process, process that with you. It can be hard. And, uh, and I, I was, there was a night where I was just in the pit. I just felt like I was... I was just I was just done, and I feeling desperate. I set an alarm for 5 a.m. Uh, I started work at 7, and I got up the next morning, made some tea, and just started journaling out prayer to God. And it wasn't that I had never journaled before. Uh, I've always had lots of thoughts and feelings <laughs> that I needed to get out. Uh, like since I was nine or ten, I've journaled. Uh, but it was, it was kind of how I journaled. Uh, what changed was I started being brutally honest with God. I was journaling out a prayer and being brutally honest with God, just kind of out of my desperation. What I realized, it's kind of embarrassing to say, is that I, I had been kind of holding back. You know, I, I grew up in church culture where, you know, we, we read the, the diaries of famous you know, Christians from the past and all this stuff. And I, I realized, like, I kind of hoped I'd become a famous Christian. <laughs> you know, I was, like, kind of journaling with posterity in mind. Like, someday they'll, you know, they'll, they'll tell Sunday school kids about me or, or something like that. So I, I was saying things with, like, a spin, you know? Like, kind of trying to tie a bow on something or Jesus juke myself with a slap in a Bible verse or something. Uh, and, but this particular dark winter morning... 
I was doing it from a viewpoint that no one should ever read this ever. It was just me and God, the, me and the God who died for me. Me and the God who calls me to himself like a son. I was gonna say exactly what I needed to say to him. And it was like my soul breathed for the first time. It, it was like, it was like when you go to a wedding or a funeral and you put on those shoes that you wear to a wedding or a funeral and they hurt and you wear on the, the pants or the dress or whatever that, that you wear to a wedding or a funeral. And then, you know, you just like, you, you do the thing at the wedding and the funeral and then you get home and what? You put on your sweatpants and you sit down on the couch with, with, a, with a good friend. That's what it felt like. It was like taking off the funeral shoes and the funeral suit, putting on sweatpants and sitting on the couch with my best friend. I felt like God was with me in the mess. I felt seen by God, freed from pressure. I didn't even know I was carrying in to my relationship with God, to my, my time of prayer. I felt for maybe the first time what the grace of God is actually like in, in the deep parts of my soul. The, the grace of God that I knew about theologically, intellectually, biblically, uh, was starting to get deeper into my heart uh, because the, if, if the grace of God means anything, it means that we're free to pour out the ugly to God. What I'm saying is prayer changed my life. From that point on, prayer, particularly journaling prayers, has become like base camp, baseline, foundation for just like functioning. Like if I don't do that on the regular, you'll know and you won't like me at all. It's just kind of, in the words of Richard Foster, it's like finding my heart's home and kind of journaling that out. Um, of course, it's ebbed and flowed, and if there are any seasons in a relationship, uh, but more than any class I took in seminary, sermon I heard, anything, is this, this intimacy with God and prayer. And that, that's the, I mean, we're going to talk about other things when it comes to prayer in this 21 days, but that is the burning desire of my heart for all of us. That, that idea of our souls breathing, our, our hearts finding their home with God in prayer over uh, the, the next 20, 21 days, more so than maybe we ever have before. Intimacy with God is what I hope uh, you will experience as you lean into 21 days of prayer. So today we'll do a little overview of prayer with three questions. What is prayer? Why don't we do it? And how do we get good at it? And then we'll look at the two texts Miss Kathy read um, as, as kind of an entry point. Uh, so a little bit, a bit of application. First thing, what is prayer? Well, when I first met Camille, we were in different cities. So kind of our, one of our first conversations was on the phone. And it lasted like three hours. Just sharing about our lives, author, authors we liked, it was I, one of the reasons I knew she was the one is I, I like this obscure author. He's obscure back then. Now he's famous, of course. And I, and I was like, surely she hasn't heard of this author. And so I was just describing what he's about and what he writes about. And she's like, oh, it sounds like you're talking about Wendell Berry. And I was just like, I'm in. I'm going to marry you. I want to have kids with you, everything. Because you know, you know Wendell, who Wendell Berry is. Um, and honestly, the, the, this conversation with Camille continues to this day, 11 years later or whatever it is. Uh, and it's one of the favorite things about marriage for me, you know, just the, the, 
how much I enjoyed talking with Camille. We want to hear about each other's day. We want to know what the other thought about a movie or a sermon. We have a perpetual ongoing marriage book club where we pass, read books and pass them back and forth to each other and talk about them. And of course, we, we also are trying to have a functional life, functional family. So we talk about schedule and finances and house projects and getting the van fixed and stuff. Not the fit, because the fit never needs fixed. Just a little plug there. But uh, we're also parents. Talk about our kids, how to how parent them well, or, you know, just like probably one of the best things about, you know, having kids with someone uh, is that, you know, no one loves them as much as, you know, other than Camille loves them as much as I do. So we just like, you know, tuck them in so we can look at pictures of them on our phones and talk about them and stuff. Camille and I talk a lot because we have an intimate relationship. And we talk in lots of different ways because our relationship pretty much encompasses all of life. Some of our conversations are fun, casual, some are not fun at all and are really painful. We talk spontaneously, naturally as we go about our day and we also book date nights and date mornings and marriage meetings to talk family business and stuff on the calendar. All that to say, prayer is the, simply the conversation with God that arises from an intimate relationship. That realizes in the hot new take on prayer, just reminding us all. This is, it's, it's just like the conversation that arises from an intimate relationship between you and God, which is to say prayer is first and foremost a reality of relationship. Where there's no conversation, there's probably no relationship. Where there's no relationship, there's probably not gonna be very much conversation. So prayer is because a relationship is with God. Step, uh, second question, why don't we do it? Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray like we want to or we think we should? Well, let's continue this uh, metaphor of prayer like a conversation uh, from an intimate between husband and wife. Uh, what are reasons a husband and wife might begin to talk less and less? Well, the first one, busy, busy. How are you? Busy. We're all busy, too busy to talk. Friends, work, aging parents, it's a lot. We're tired, we just want to veg. We'll talk about busyness next week. What are other reasons, relational reasons, why a husband and wife might stop talking. The first one for you to consider is that maybe over time, those little wounds that happen in marriage, or maybe big wounds, build up, scab over, scar over, and there's, there's distance. There's a distance that comes from woundedness. And I, I wonder if the true, the same is true for us and God. What keeps us from prayer, time with God, is the fact that very few of us have been taught to be honest about the times we have felt hurt and let down by God. I mean, you're here today, uh, so the, there's something in you or something between you and God. I'm so glad you're here. You know, we might believe in God, we might dutifully come to church, listen to sermons, read our Bibles, but deep down, we want you know, in the metaphor of a marriage, like we want God to stay in the kitchen 
so we can like have the living room to ourselves and watch the game. We're okay with him in the house, but we don't actually want to be close to him or talk to him. We have hurts that have not been healed. We might have a quiet, smoldering anger towards him, like a functional, stable marriage where the trash gets taken out, the bills get paid, but not much is said. There's not a lot of laughter. No hearts are shared. We pray because we just don't want to talk to God. That might be a really good first step of honesty. I just don't want to. I don't like him. I don't want to talk to him. We might believe that he's good or know that he's good or know that we don't want to go to hell, so we got to do something with God in order to go the other place. But when it comes down to it, we pick pretty much anything else over talking with God, including doing stuff for him. Because if we're honest, we cannot imagine how a good, loving father would let that thing happen to me. The loss of a child, a marriage, chronic illness, the seasons of life where maybe it's not one big thing, it just feels like this, you know, one thing after another of these like coincidental terrible things piling up that just make you want to look at the guy and say, are you, the sky and say, are you kidding me? If that's you, I just want to say you're not alone. The Bible itself has many, many, many people, many, many recorded prayers of people being very angry at God. People hurting so badly and pouring out their pain, their rage, their confusion to God. I would go so far as to say is being angry at God is unavoidable. Just like, you know, a husband and wife that never fight means someone's not showing up. Like so there's two wills in a marriage, which means that you got to work through stuff. I think ooh, we're going to get angry. His will will cross our wills. It's going to happen. And I would also say that expressing anger to God is one of the most transformative experiences that we can have with him in a relationship. Maybe one of the most pure forms of faith is to pour out, tell God that we're angry at him. Another reason we don't pray is because we're afraid of doing it wrong. We're paralyzed by our motives, ashamed to say what we really want or what we really desire. We think ourselves into you know, a spiral of like, well, I think I want this, but maybe I should want this, or blah, 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 blah. We just never, never say anything. Or we hear other people pray who are so much more articulate, can quote scripture fluently, and think of you know, noble, admirable things to pray, and we just feel embarrassed by our simple prayers. Well, continuing with our marriage metaphor, what, is that, what, what might that say about our relationship with God? Honestly, it sounds like dating. It sounds like being nervous about, what, I don't want to say the wrong thing or offend this person or share too much or you know, whatever. When you're dating, you're you, you might try to sound smart or funny or spiritual or you know, insightful or whatever because there's no, it's not a safe place yet. You're not, you don't trust that other person to stick with you when they see you. They might, you know, they could leave. So you kind of keep up good appearances, which is exhausting, which would make prayer exhausting if we are like putting on our like spiritual good looking clothes because we don't trust that God is actually like likes us. Maybe where some of us are dating God 
wondering if he'll leave us if we do something wrong. The last reason we don't pray is because we've mostly experienced prayer as boring. <clears throat> and I think one of the reasons, maybe the main reason why prayer might become boring is because it gets relegated to only being about health problems, mostly health problems of people we don't even know or talk to that much, or kind of like lofty, distant spiritual things. Prayer is boring when we don't bring our real daily lives into it. If prayer doesn't flow out of like the gut, like our real life, our lived experience being shared with the God who made us, then I think intercession, praying for other people and other things and all this is just going to be real dry. I remember a prayer meeting I went to with maybe 20 people, and in the prayer time, there was not a single prayer request for anyone in the room. And I'm not saying it's like inherently wrong or sinful, but it broke my heart because apparently, tragically, no one in that room felt safe to bring anything out of their life into the room for their brothers and sisters to pray for but their brothers and sisters to carry their burdens and intercede for them before the Father. Instead, they were good prayers, but distant prayers. My cousin's husband in the hospital, the government and the leaders and the persecuted church and my boss's daughter, you know, distant. And of course, we can and should pray about those things. But if, if we're honest, that prayer that's miles from our daily lives can be draining, which means it needs a relationship to sustain it. If prayer feels like a timeout from our real lives, the only way like contending, interceding for others is sustainable is when it comes in the context of feeling known and loved in God's presence. If it's just a husband and wife talking about other people, how long is that marriage gonna last? Or what will the depth and enjoyment of that marriage be? Praying for one another, I've thought about this a lot, like ways to cultivate like people in a room praying for the people in the room. It's like one of my favorite things. It's holy, sacred space where we're brothers and sisters can lift one another up by name before the Father. And it's, it's, it's where relationships are built. It's where trust and belonging is formed. It's where we, we, where we bear one another's burdens practically. So, third question, how do we get better at prayer? Well, the disciples asked Jesus this exact question in Luke 11. One day, when Jesus was praying in a certain place, Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. A lot we could talk about here, but what we see is that when the disciples ask, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. Jesus didn't go to the whiteboard, as awesome as whiteboards are, and start writing out theological you know, concepts around what prayer is and the, you know, the, the 
transubstantiational, you know, doctrinal things that happen on the cross. Instead, he just said, do it. Pray this way. Here's what pretty much everyone who writes about prayer agrees on, is that you get better at prayer by doing it. You become a person of prayer by doing it. Richard Foster, whose, whose book is out in the lobby, says, by praying, we learn to pray. The contemplative Thomas Merton, that's Richard Foster, there he is. You moved to, moved to old Tommy, is he next? The contemplative Thomas Merton says, if you want a life of prayer, the way to get it is by what? Anyone got a guess? Praying. Mother Teresa, this little known obscure saint, uh, says, if we really mean to pray, and want to pray, we must be ready to do it now. That sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Do it now! That was weird, I'm sorry. I don't, that's where my mind went. This part of the teaching is short. The answer to this question, how do we get better at prayer, is to do it. The only way to grow in prayer, to be a better prayer, to become a prayer warrior, is to do it. Stumble forward, fail forward. It's like learning a language or an instrument. You're, just like, you're never going like, to look good at anything you start doing uh, uh, for the first time or you know, picking, picking it back up. You just keep doing it. Which brings us to the practical part of the teaching. For these 21 days of prayer, I want to invite you to pray what you've got. It's on the little bracelets that we, you might have got on the way in. You can grab one on your way out. Pray what you've got. I know it's not great English. Sorry, English teachers out there, but I hope it sticks in your brain. Because I think this one phrase addresses the three obstacles, the three reasons why we don't pray. You pray what you got, whatever you have going on, whatever you, 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 know, whatever you have to, to say, to talk about, whatever's on your mind, whatever you're fixated about. Whatever you're chewing on, say that to God. Pray that to God. This is what I started doing all those years ago. That turning point in my life with honest journal, prayer journaling. Just quit messing around <laughs> and faking it and just started telling God the most true thing. The nitty gritty of my horrifying sinful desires. My absolute confusion about how hurtful and dumb people could be. My piercing loneliness. Whatever it is for you, pour that out to God. This is not my idea. Psalm 142 says this, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. This is from David. And when you read the little like intro part to the psalm, you know, Psalm 142, a prayer of David. When he was in the cave, you ever been in a cave? Maybe literally, if so, come tell me that story. But, you know, I think we all have those moments where we're in, in, a, in a cave, we're in a pit. The man after God's own hearts pours out his complaint. Here it is in the inerrant scripture where we see an invitation to pour out our complaint to God. We, we are all great at complaining 
me, first and foremost. And I would say one of the most powerful things for your spiritual growth is to complain to God first and most often. More often than you complain to anyone else. God can take all your complaints, unlike your spouse, who will reach their tipping point at some point. And it does something profound to your soul over time to experience that kind of trust, that kind of intimacy that comes when you interact with a God who saves you and not, not just like wants you to like be shining on a shelf, but wants you to pour out your complaints to him. Pray what you've got. This might be doing too much, but I, I couldn't bring myself to cut this out of the sermon. I want to invite you to name an emotion. Like, actually write down a word that is an emotion. And if you're like me, maybe not the most emotionally in tune person, I actually printed out a list of emotions and put it on the book table. Uh, you can go grab one and, like, tuck that in your, in your journal, your Bible or whatever. Uh, vent about, you know, the thing your husband said to you or didn't do or, or, or the, the, the thing that your, your boss said that makes you feel like you just want to crumple or, or whatever. Vent that out and then name an emotion. God, I'm terrified I'm going to lose my job. God, I feel so lonely and unseen. Whatever it is, I name the emotion. The truth is, emotions are in us, whether we are aware of them or not. Whether we can name them and process them or not. Uh, and if we don't name them or process them, they will be our puppet masters. They like run in the background of our lives without us knowing, or if we don't do intentional work to know them. Like neurologically, that's how our brains process life, is through the emotional uh, mechanisms. And I know a lot of us here would pride ourselves on being rational and balanced and stable maybe, uh, but a neuroscience would say that that just means your emotions are running your life and you don't know how or why. And so journaling out that to God, being free and in a safe space to experience God's grace to name an emotion it's just a keystone habit for me. And particularly journaling it out, like that bodily act of journaling it out is a way to use my body in prayers, a way to use my body to get, get it out of my body and like onto paper and offer it to God. We also have journals on the book table for free if you want one. Which kind of brings it brings us to our second application, the second thing on your bracelet, if you got one, which is, if you can worry, you can pray. That's in many, many ways, that's what journaling out prayers are to me, is like, is getting my worry out in the form of a prayer. Look with me at 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's amazing, gracious one-liner what a what a tender invitation from our father he cares for you he wants to hear your anxiety what if our anxiety instead of being seen as an illness or something to avoid or numb became our prayer prompt Anyone else get anxiety spirals or have like imaginary fights with people in your mind that aren't even in the room? Speaking for a friend. What if our instinct 
was to stop and pray, to choose to direct that nervous chatter, the, the spiral, articulate the spirals to the God who invites that, invites us to share that and, and cares for us. What if the Holy Spirit puts things on your heart that you're anxious about in order to draw you to pray? I'm not a great sleeper, and I, I used to feel super guilty when my mind was spinning and I couldn't turn it off to sleep until a friend said, I think that just means God wants you to keep praying about that until you can go to sleep. God put, put something on your heart. Is it, is, it a, is it a disorder? Is it an invitation to pray? And so now most nights, if I'm struggling to sleep, it's a get out of bed. And for me, like the gift is to get actually on my knees, to remember I'm like bowing before my creator and, and to say, I'm, 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 so, I'm like a crazy person about this. I can't stop this spiral. Will you give me peace? Will you handle it? I, casting it on you. How might that habit of moving from a lonely and anxiety spiral to speaking with the God who cares for us shape our souls over time? What kind of person might that form us into over time. Think of it like we might all be carrying around big, heavy sacks of sand. And then you just kind of, you cast it over to him. You throw it over and just walk lighter. What would it be like to walk lighter through our days and years? I think I'm, I, I'm, I can honestly say I'm getting to the point where this is becoming a habit to me. And I'm not trying to like sound spiritual because like, you know, I'm paid to be a Christian. You know, like this should have happened a long time ago. But, but like this past year in particular, uh, you know, it's really become sweet. Like yesterday, Camille and I were walking around Antrim Park getting all riled up with all the things we're riled up about. And it's like, you know, the last half of the last lap is like, okay, <laughs> we got we to gotta, we gotta stop and pray. And it just becomes a place of refuge it becomes a place of unloading, of unburdening myself from the lie that it's all on me, that I have to fix everything. And so grab a bracelet, let it remind you to stop and pray when you're anxious. Uh, let it leave the room, go for a short 10 minute walk. There's a, an amazing overlooked theme of scripture of walking with God. And we always take it spiritually or metaphorically, but it really works when you do it literally, like go for a walk with God. My greatest hope for, for all of us is that these 21 days of prayer would be where just the, the glass ceiling shatters. The glass, ceiling of our, glass ceilings of our prayers are shattered. Three weeks to bring us to a new level of intimacy and freedom. A new level of trust between the God who died to save you, died to bring you to a place where you can, like a beloved child, pour out your anxiety, your complaints on him. There's a uh, prayer plan that uh, I think was handed out to you. If not, it's on the, uh, it's on the, uh, the welcome table. Uh, but <clears throat> one of the most gracious quotes I've read in some of the um, you know, behavior uh, psychology stuff that I've read is that most of us think we lack motivation when really we just lack a plan. We lack clarity. And so 
But prayer plan is my simple, clumsy way of trying to offer a tool to help you plan for prayer over the next 21 days, um, particularly to pray every day. Um, it's not a New Year's resolution, you know, take a break after 21 days or whatever, but it starts with a time and a place of your day to meet with God. And, and uh, I encourage you to start by naming an emotion and maybe reading a psalm and then just journaling what God is saying to you, to that emotion, through the psalm and the Holy Spirit. It's not complicated, it's just time with your loving Father. You know, with 21 days of prayer, it's kind of a common January trend for churches or whatever. And, you know, we're in a season where we're praying for revitalization, praying for a new move of God amongst us as a church family. And I, and I hope that happens. I hope our church grows. I hope we see revival in Northland, people saved, disciples made. But that, that's going to begin with you and I praying what we've got. You and I leaning into the peace that surpasses understanding by casting all our cares on the God who loves us. You and I living like practically in real life, like we're beloved children. We're beloved children, well cared for by our God and Father. And that brings us to communion. We come, before, we come forward to partake of communion. Uh, we, we, I invite you to come forward with a prayer. The, the cracker and the juice represent the broken body of Jesus given for you. The blood shed for you so that you now, without shame, without guilt, without condemnation, can boldly approach God like a, beloving, a beloved child and pour all those things out. The ugliest, most awful thing you could imagine to say to God has already been paid for by the, the very act of Jesus that we celebrate in communion. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of prayer for the relationship that you desire to have with us? How can it be that you want us to, to vent and rant and share our anxieties with you? Father, just acknowledge that what our hearts long for is you, to be safe and nestled in a real life experience of your presence. So would you have mercy on us the next 21 days as we lean into rhythms of prayer? As some of us maybe open a door to prayer that we've left shut for a long time because of pain, uh, because of confusion and shame, Father, would you have mercy on us? Give us peace. Would you give those folks courage uh, to, to show up to you if it's been a while? Father, would you in the power of your spirit break, shatter the glass ceiling that can kind of form over our prayers for all kinds of different reasons? bring to mind something right now that we need to cut out of our lives for the next 21 days to make more space for prayer. And Father, we love you. We know that you love us. We desire to see your kingdom come in our church and in Northland as it is in heaven. So will these 21 days just be a seedbed for, for you to move in us and through us? In Jesus' name, amen.